welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the voice of manufacturing globally. My name is Tim Grady and we're going to be talking about some global issues today, but before we get to those, I'd like to chat with my co-host, Lou Weiss of All Metals and Forge Group, sponsor of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Lou, how are you today? I'm doing great, doing great. Always a pleasure to be on here with you. We always do something new and learn something different, so uh, uh, it's, it's become uh, quite fun, so take it away. Yeah, last week we spent uh, the whole week devoted to Manufacturing Day. It really became a week. We were going from the New Jersey Institute of Technology over to the New Jersey uh, Manufacturers Extension, a, a partnership with uh, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. So we had a great week. Uh, we encourage you to tune in to any of those shows if you want to hear what was happening in Manufacturing Week, which is really still going on the entire month of October. Well, I'd also like today, I'd also, I'd also like to throw a plug in for uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio and you and I. Uh, we were honored with giving the keynote speech at NJIT, um, and uh, it was a, a great function. And the topic was uh, solving the skills uh, shortage in this country, and uh, it's a, it was a. It was a good event, and a lot of good information came out. And, again, I, too, recommend going to mfgtalkradio.com and tune in and listen to that show. Tim? Yes, it's great. Great show. Now, what we're going to talk about today, really, is what's happening around the country, around the world, really, with uh, not just manufacturing, but uh, the, really the global business surveys. And we've been honored to have uh, Norbert Orr, who is a, a senior uh, correspondent with us, talking about uh, global surveys. Norbert, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you again. Well, let's kind of um, uh, walk around the world and see how things are going. Would you like to go east to west or west to east first? Uh, I don't know. Are you trying to confuse me uh, even more than I am right now? Uh, I guess what if we just start with uh, Asia and come to Europe and back to North America Uh, and that'll be kind of both directions and then uh, then come back to home Uh, so what's going on in Asia right now Uh, well Japan looks a little better Uh, seems like they're they're making some progress Uh, been able to stay right at the 50 to 51 mark, 50 being no change from the month before, but uh, uh, staying a little bit above water in that regard. So uh, very, uh, very positive at this point, with prospects looking even better from that standpoint. Um, The question in Asia, of course, is always uh, China. And uh, there's two surveys coming out of China. One of them is called the CFLP report or the official China PMI. Uh, It was at 49.8 this month, uh, up from 49.7 the month before. Um, But but the story is that based on that index, China has been uh, experiencing very little change month over month. 
for uh, the last three or four years. Uh, so it, it's kind of hard to tell from that index. The, the other uh, index is the Kaishin China uh, General uh, Manufacturing Survey. It used to be called the HSBC Survey. Um, and it came in at 47.2, indicating a decline uh, in manufacturing in China. Uh, that's probably the one that I uh, pay more attention to because it's got more variability built into it. The difference between the two surveys is the CFLP survey is all uh, indigenous Chinese companies, whereas the Kaixin survey includes um, multinationals. So uh, a little different view, a, a more trade-centric view, I guess, than, than, the, than the other survey. But nonetheless, uh, China still is a big unknown. Uh, we don't know um, what uh, what to expect uh, in terms of growth coming out of uh, out of China at this point. Um, Japan, uh, as I said, is moving forward. South Korea seems to be holding up uh, fairly well. Taiwan has struggled a little bit. Uh, Taiwan is closely tied to the uh, semiconductor industry. And um, they are uh, uh, the whole industry is struggling, so it's it's not just a Taiwan thing in doing that. If we move over to um, Europe, uh, we see a better picture than we've seen in, in quite some time. The uh, eurozone, uh, which is eight uh, European countries, uh, all of the eurozone uh, countries were growing, with the exception of Greece. And Greece uh, is special, as we know, the problems that they've had. But even they're making progress. Uh, the rate of decline is, is slowing. Uh, so that uh, Greece came in at 43.3 this month, up from 39.1. So uh, a positive anyway that uh, the, the rate of decline isn't, uh, isn't quite as quick as, uh, as it had been. Um, uh, the strongest am among the European countries uh, this month was once again uh, Ireland. Uh, Ireland uh, made a commitment to straightening out uh, their economy and uh, doing what they needed to do, budget cutting, et cetera, uh, early on, and, and so they've gotten the benefit of that. Uh, they've had uh, a much better run than the rest of the Eurozone countries. And then, of course, uh, the U.K. is um, uh, not part of the Eurozone itself. Uh, the U.K. <clears throat> is experiencing a period in manufacturing much like ours of, of very weak growth because the pound sterling is strong just as the dollar is, and so it uh, reduces the opportunity for uh, uh, for for uh, growth and uh uh, that won't change until the, the currencies change a little bit. It just takes them a while to settle out, typically. Uh, then uh, we come to North America. Uh, Mexico uh, is struggling a little bit. Uh, they've, they've done well recently, but struggling a little bit now uh, because of the, the strength of the U.S. dollar. Uh, their pesos don't go very far, don't go as far as they did in that uh but uh, 
Mexico uh, still had an index of 52.1 down from 52.4. So uh, not not uh, negative, uh, but certainly not as strong as Mexico was experiencing. And, and then Canada has uh, really been hurt because they're a commodity-based economy, and uh, Canada registered 48.6. Again, relatively close to the midpoint, not a lot of change taking place, but uh, for, the, for the year, Canada has averaged uh, 49.7, so it has not been a year of growth uh, in, in the Canadian market. And uh, then I think we probably ought to have a separate conversation about the U.S. economy and where it's going right now, guys. A question that uh, comes to my mind, uh, Canada usually tails and trails right around where we are. And to see them in the high 40s, and we've been in the low 50s, um, it doesn't make sense. Usually they do trail one another. Do uh, you have any thoughts on that, uh, Norbert? Yeah, I think uh, one of the themes that I've talked a lot about is uh, we, we have a history of saying, well, this time's different, and then uh, <laughs> uh, figure out that it's really not different. Uh, but uh, this recovery that we've been through since 2007 is so different than anything we've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And I think, Lou, the, the issue with Canada is uh, uh, basically they're a commodity-based uh, country. Uh, they uh, oil and the the oil the tar sands et cetera uh all very important to them they're into agricultural commodities they're into uh uh building commodities lumber you name it uh, uh it's where their strength is it's not uh it's not in their manufacturing sector and uh so it's taken uh, again the strength of the dollar uh uh, is, is, is very punishing to uh, uh, to Canada. They can sell more to us, but if there's no demand, it doesn't really matter. And well, that's, that's the, the case right now. Well, that's the point that I was bringing up, in that they're down at 48 and we're at 50-something, and we were at 52. So we had some demand, and we do know in my the uh, All Metals and Forge Group company, uh, I mean, we rely on uh, Canada as a uh, trading partner, uh, both selling and uh, and buying, and a lot of that has uh, trickled off. And I see that basically that uh, I don't see any major projects that we normally used to see in industry. You know, we have this this big program and this big nuclear reactor and this new big plane, and I don't hear any of that. It's it's a it's a different it's a different manufacturing world. Now you're talking a lot about um, the, the building the machines that are going to build machines, uh, robots, uh, 3D printing, and so on. It's almost as if our economy is built on restructuring rather than uh, manufacturing. Uh, just a, a side thought. Sure. Well, there, there's a, a great deal of uh, of truth in that, uh, and the real issue is. Uh, why isn't there any business investment? And uh, one of the reasons I think uh, that we see business in investment so soft, obviously, is a demand issue. But uh, we also invested a lot uh, in 2010, 11, 12, 13. 
when companies were investing very strongly in IT, uh, and they invested in IT because it has a relatively quick payback. Uh, traditional payback in manufacturing has been if, if you can't get a, a four-year payback, then you don't you don't make the investment. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is an indication one that companies have raised the bar. Uh, no longer is a four-year payback uh, because of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. The degree of uncertainty no longer yeah. is four-year year payback uh, as attractive. They're looking for a two-year payback in many instances, which again pushes you back into IT product projects, certainly not brick-and-mortar projects. And so, that's uh, pretty pretty correct uh, from our assessment as well. Uh, we do hear a lot on the metal side. Uh, Contracts are coming. We got the approval. We didn't get the sign off. We didn't get the check. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, purchasing procrastination. And I think the reason for that is that there's the, nobody has to be in a, a big hurry when uh, you have the kind of capacity available, uh, and we, we see weak demand. Uh, uh, they they want to go forward, but it's 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 going forward in inches instead of feet. Uh-huh. Uh, I I don't see that changing in the near term because I don't see the the demand curve changing from uh, from, from where we are right now. And then uh, uh, globally, uh, that that's an issue. Uh, the the thing that we have going for us is uh, a, a very good uh, services sector. Uh, manufacturing is weak, but services is much stronger. Uh, so it's uh, uh, it, it, it has the potential to help carry us forward. Well, Norbert, uh, what do you see happening with manufacturing? We've watched the ISM number, which which Lewis followed faithfully for twenty plus years, and in the last three four months, it's ticking down, ticking down, ticking down. Uh, is that trend going to continue? Or are we going to slip below 50 and uh, start going into a contraction? The um, uh, from time to time, the ISM, uh, as you as you know, uh, I uh, was responsible for the survey for over 15 years, and so I've uh, I think I've actually got seniority on Lou in terms of the amount of time <laughs> following. Uh, you win uh, following. Uh, uh, the survey, uh, but uh, you know, if if uh, if the services sector was declining the same way as manufacturing, then we'd be talking about could the Fed engineer some kind of a soft landing. Uh, the, the normal cycle is that manufacturing grows and, and uh, generally has a very strong period of growth. Uh, We've come through this. Uh, this uh, recovery is so weak uh, in so many ways. Uh, the auto industry has done well. Everybody else has uh, has struggled because uh, the demand isn't there. The demand is only there in the auto industry, and uh, we we really see uh, uh, generally that those numbers tend to flatten out. And so uh, the nature of a change index that we work with is. Um, we're looking at month-over-month growth, and so uh, if we have a, 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 a persistent period of month-over-month growth, 
then you get numbers that are in the 52, 53 or higher range uh, consistently. Uh, if uh, that slows down, then the number flattens out, but it's at a new level. Uh, it means this year was better than, because we're in the 50s, this year's better than growing better at the same point in time than, than last year. So uh, the negative number or, or the, the low numbers are, are, are only a concern if uh, we drop below. That's why I, I mentioned uh, the non-manufacturing survey because uh, it's their part of the cycle. Manufacturing has been through its part of the cycle. Now the question is can we find new sources of demand that help pull up manufacturing? And uh, that demand's got to be from continued auto industry uh, involvement, and it's got to be from uh, uh, non-durable uh, goods, uh, soft goods and so on, that the consumer picks up. At. And we see some signs of that. Uh, so uh, I don't think necessarily that uh, we should expect. We could see a month or two go below 50, but it would be at 49, uh, 48.5, something like that, which frankly uh, for this type of index is not a very is not a very large decline it wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be of concern in my opinion uh, so we shouldn't be jumping off a ledge huh? <laughs> right uh, you, you were speaking you were speaking a moment ago about the uh, auto industry uh, the aerospace industry has uh, is proving itself to be pretty strong at this point how, how, what are you saying on that uh, well, the, the same thing. Uh, the aerospace is now our largest industry in terms of export and so on. When we right. ship airplanes, it costs three and four hundred million dollars a piece uh, out. Uh, there's a lot of value coming out from that. Uh, mm -hmm. One one of the small concerns I have is uh, there, there's a survey that's done, uh, and again, my forte is business surveys globally. And there's a survey uh, uh, coming out of the Pacific Northwest, and uh, it uh, has had been very, very strong showing the aircraft industry because of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I, I think um, there's a huge number of suppliers to that industry located there. Uh, but it has fallen down uh, to uh, the last two months have been below 50 and so I don't know whether that's some seasonality. Uh, I don't think – I know there hasn't been order cancellations. I think it's just the fact that uh, uh, that activity has peaked, too. Uh, when it comes to, to uh, new orders, things may have slowed uh, in, in terms of the aircraft industry as people are, are concerned about the, the risk-on issue uh, that we see. Uh, but it's it's a little bit softer, but you're right, it, it is. And uh, and it's not only, we, we think in terms of companies like Boeing, um, uh, we, we have Airbus, which is the big European, European conglomerate. Uh, they uh, now have a plant in Alabama and are starting to produce uh, planes here. Uh, a lot of the general aviation, the business jets and so on, those have, uh, have been doing extraordinarily well. So it is a good industry for us. And, and right now, don't see a major contraction taking place, uh, maybe just a little bit of a slowdown also. 
From my understanding, uh, the global requir requirements now for uh, replenishment of the various global fleets is uh, U.S. needs uh, 20,000 aircraft and the Chinese need 20,000 aircraft over the next 10 to 15 years. Uh, those are pretty strong numbers, uh, you know, at a even at a wholesale price. Yeah, and uh, th those are the global supply chains too. Mm -hmm. They're, they're right. going to do exactly. a, a certain number of them here. Uh, the, they are uh, buying components from all over the globe. There's a uh, plant in Charleston, South Carolina, and I, I think they get. Uh, uh, fuselage in from uh, uh, from Australia, and they have a special plane, uh, a special 747 built to be able to, to carry uh, to bring those in. So uh, it is a global supply chain, and, and I think it uh, it should continue. Uh, if you travel in Asia, you know that uh, they have, they have to have very large aircraft. Uh, because they're moving a lot of people over long distances, and so uh, I, I think that demand will will stay with us, and uh, it'll be one of the cornerstones of uh, of any growth that we have. Not only uh, the number of aircraft that are required in China, they're building and have been building for the last I think three or four years a hundred new airports. Uh, it's the only way to get around the country quickly and in mass movement. Uh, the train service is great going north and south, but uh, going further west, and if they want to bring the outer the, the outer limits of China into the uh, more urban uh, areas, uh, aircraft is the only way to do it. Yeah, well, I guess aircraft and high-speed train, but aircraft can go in any direction at any time, and high-speed trains uh, have strong limitations. and. Uh, 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 they can only do so much, but getting in a car in China today uh, it may not get you very far. <laughs> I, I just uh, uh, emailed myself a photograph that was on, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure which web website it is, but it showed yesterday a traffic jam at a toll booth, not in Shanghai or Beijing. It was 50 lanes of traffic narrowing down to 20 lanes to go through the toll booth, oh. and the traffic was 74 miles long. And I, I showed uh, <laughs> some of our staff people, and and I've been to China, and I've been in those traffic jams, and they are, they are wild. They're just wild. And I don't know where they're going to because they don't have a lot of – a lot of cities that are – Yeah, you, uh, you have to ask yourself when 50 lanes aren't enough – Right. <laughs> what, what do you do next? Well, you know, what's even uh, funnier is that they never used to have toll booths. Here in this country, we're getting rid of toll booths, and here they went and put them in. And that's what's causing the 74-mile traffic jam. You know, they want to get a piece of your pocket. Well, Robert, what's going on with, with the construction? You know, the only thing I think that I see that's kind of hopping and bopping right now is um, housing starts whether it's a single-family dwelling or condos or apartments. Those seem to be doing well. Is that consistent with what you're seeing? Yeah, they're holding up uh, at around the million uh, mark for the on an annual basis. 
and uh, uh, the the good news is not declining further. The, the bad news is uh, much of the time we're up around a million and a half. Uh, so I think that there's still weakness, and in, in, as we look for places for demand, uh, a lot of people thought that this summer would be really strong for the housing industry, and, and it's decent, but uh, it's not back to that 1.5 million uh, rate run rate, um, uh, and uh, I think a, a, a lot of people underestimated the amount of time that it takes, and, and the builders, the home builders in particular. Um, didn't go out and acquire land as quickly, uh, and there's a long cycle. And you know, uh, it may take three to four to six months to build a house, but the programming of it, the permitting, and uh, the land acquisition, and all of those things uh, have a much longer lead time associated with them. And I, I just don't think they could. Uh, uh, and plus, the fact of uh, concern about risk that uh, I, I believe the home builders. Uh, 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 only wanted to commit to so many units, and that's how many they're going to build. And even though the market may be a little bit better, uh, they aren't trying to build extra units necessarily to meet that demand. I, I do think that's a possible source of strength in 2016, though, that uh, they are acquiring land. They are doing more so that uh, uh, maybe we'll see some growth out of the home builders. Uh, the supply-demand situation is uh, supposedly that uh, we're in, in terms of new home, there is a shortage in uh, the supply. Uh, so we may we may see that move forward. Uh, you know, uh, Tim, the uh, home building is um, uh, is interesting because. It, it really is highly reliant upon manufacturing. Uh, everything that they uh, put or assemble or uh, components that go into a home are manufactured items. And so uh, there's a lot in common between a home builder assembling a house and an auto uh, company uh, assembling a, um, uh, an automobile. So uh, uh, it has a big impact on manufacturing what the home builders do. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt us, uh, but we do have to take our commercial break, and we'll be back with Manufacturing Talk Radio in just a moment. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Norbert, just before the break, uh, we were talking about uh, pockets of strength in the economy, and we are talking about construction and that uh, blending into, or maybe encouraging manufacturing. What do you see manufacturing doing for the rest of the year going into 2016? Are we going to see some strength and pick up, or are we just going to continue to kind of bump along in a weak spot? I keep coming back to the demand issue, Tim. Mm -hmm. uh, what's going to change in the demand picture? Uh, what could change? Uh, oil prices seem to be uh, in the 40 to $50 range, and uh, uh, there's some prediction they might go higher. Actually, I, I think in many ways uh, oil price, higher oil prices would be beneficial uh in uh in terms of uh, uh people going ahead and making decisions and they see price go up they uh, may go ahead and commit to projects that they wouldn't commit to otherwise um, but i don't see uh, anything globally changing um, there's going to be some uh quantitative easing in europe we could possibly even see more quantitative easing here 
I'm not sure how effective that is. Uh, uh, it certainly didn't create a huge amount of growth in our economy, as we see right now. The growth is uh, GDP growth, in particular, is is, is very low. Uh, employment is starting to uh, uh, peak, or has peaked, and is starting to back off a little bit. So, uh, hard hard to find that. Uh, uh, but I, I don't, you know, uh, uh, if you look at a 5.1% uh, unemployment rate, um, that should be stimulating some growth in the economy. But uh, I, those numbers have been changed so much over the years that I'm not sure that 5.1% is, uh, is as strong as it uh, traditionally w- would sound. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the number of people in the job pool uh, we know is down significantly, and so um, uh, I think 500,000 left uh, the, the job pool this past month. So uh, the economy is not as strong as uh, as many would have it, uh, would like to see it, uh, for sure. Uh, and again, we go back to automobiles. Can they continue? Uh, they were up around 18 million. Uh, Frankly, if uh, automobiles can stay on an annual basis around 16 million and higher, uh, th- that covers an awful lot of uh, problems within the economy. So uh, we're going to count on them to be able to make their numbers, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure that that's true. Uh, you know, everybody's kind of waiting to see what the Fed's going to do with the Fed fund rate. Are they going to increase the uh, interest rate to a quarter of a point from zero? Uh, what are the impacts of that for manufacturing? Are there any, really, if they bump up the rate from rock bottom? Yeah, I, I think of the, the childhood fairy tale about the princess and the pea. Uh, right. The princess was so uncomfortable because she had to uh, lay on top of a small little pea that was in her in her bed. That quarter percent to me is like the pea. Uh, it is, uh, it's uh, only enough to be a nuisance. Uh, it's not enough to change anything. Uh, and so I don't think there's any strong implication. Uh, I, I think uh, ultimately uh, there's a risk in valuing uh, money at zero. Uh, it has a, an inherent uh, value higher than that, but we've valued it at zero for so long. Uh, and it allows a lot of the wrong things to happen in terms of uh, uh, decisions that are made. Uh, banks get money, but they don't lend it uh, because they can make more off of it uh, than, than in lending it, and they don't have the, quite the risk that they might in lending. So it, it really all feeds off of each other. But uh, to, 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 I guess, put it in perspective, I don't see the quarter of a point makes uh, any difference uh, again. If manufacturers are looking for a two-year payback uh, or right. basically a 50% return, then uh, w- w- how would the interest even be a part of the equation uh, yeah. at the interest rates that we've got today? Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly a pretty small number, Lou. Uh, Norbert, uh, going looking at things from a, a geopolitical uh, aspect, uh, regarding uh, Europe and the Euro. Uh, there's so much going on in that part of the world, Europe and the Mideast. Uh, Russia is now putting its two cents into uh, 
uh, Syria and Iran is doing its thing. And uh, a lot of money is going to be dumped into that area either by the return of uh, uh, withheld funds uh, and or uh, the Chinese and the Russians selling a lot of arms into uh, into that area. What is that going to do to the uh, overall economy of the Europe um, uh, Mideast area? Uh, I mean, I envision what it could do, but it's not. I don't think it's good stuff. Yeah, uh, you, you know, I go back to uh, post Berlin Wall Germany when. Uh, East Germany and West Germany, you never hear the term uh, anymore, but uh, uh, West Germany was a democracy, East Germany was under communism, the wall came down and, and they united and uh, Germany did a, a magnificent job, or West Germany did a magnificent job of uh, uh, assimilating, uh, but they had family, uh, culture, had all of these things that were uh, uh, we're, we're the same. Now you're bringing in people whose language is different, uh, whose cultures are different, uh, uh, whose expectations are different. Uh, and so uh, all of these countries, uh, it's going to be a, a, a relative shock. It's going to be, a, uh, and they're all very strong in social welfare systems. So the first right. issue is how fast can they move these people uh, off of the social welfare system and into productivity, uh, and uh, that's going to take a long that. time. You know, we ought to learn by that as well. Uh, absolutely, uh, it's uh, uh, when uh, when a middle class or a um, an American on uh, assistance is equal to the middle class in Mexico, uh, it says that uh, there's uh, not not a lot of, uh, if, if somebody wants to be upwardly mobile in Mexico, do you earn your way into the middle class, or you just cross the border and wind up in the middle class? <laughs> in terms of demand stimulation, Norbert, uh, on a global basis, uh, you know, consumer demand drives 70% of our economy. I don't know what percentage it drives of economies around the world. Uh, the dollar is strong. Uh, the UK uh, currency is strong. Uh, what, do you have any clues for us what is going to or could stimulate demand? Uh, well, I don't think the, the uh, immigration is going to stimulate uh, a lot of demand, certainly not on a, on a global basis because uh, the demand is being removed from those Middle Eastern countries. Uh, in terms of people, and so it's an, a, a net uh, situation uh, to start with, and uh, it puts more demand. You know, Europe, with their uh, social welfare state, uh, uh, has a hard time getting above 2% growth in GDP. So mm -hmm. I don't see that immigration is going to help drive GDP uh, higher than what their, their capability was to begin with. So uh, there, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to uh, I'd have to defer to others on uh, uh, where the value creation is in all of this. Well, right. not only, well, just, not only one, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to comment that the, the immigration issue is a huge drain on any economic area. Uh, so I don't know what value it brings. If anything, it I think it takes away. 
Yeah, uh, I would agree. I, I was looking more in terms of not that issue, but in terms of global demand, consumer demand. Uh, is there anything that can be uh, likely to trigger it or stimulate it, uh, Norbert, or do we have to wait for the dollar to become weaker, other currencies to become stronger? Uh, well, I guess I'm looking for the light at the end of the tunnel not being an oncoming train. You know, consumer demand is uh, relatively constant uh, for non-durable goods, for the soft stuff and the uh, mm -hmm. health uh, care and, uh, and those types of things. Uh, our problem is on the durable goods side. Uh, if you look at where the uh, manufacturing weakness is, uh, automobiles are in durable goods. That's helping the situation, but... Uh, if you then look at earth-moving equipment, farm equipment, uh, machinery, et cetera, on down the line, those are all very soft and uh, no no recovery. So certainly that's where we need to see that. The consumer is, is picking up a little bit, as I said. His wages are picking up a little bit. Uh, that'll help. Uh, whether or not that uh, uh, changes things in Europe, uh, uh People, uh, it depends on just how cautious they choose to be and, and how unsettled the rest of the population is that's, uh, uh, that's working hard to, to meet mortgages and, and other things. Uh, we'll have to see how, how much impact there is from that. Well, I note that consumer credit, in other words, consumer debt, is hitting an all-time high. I wasn't sure that consumer debt was going to fuel the next expansion, but nonetheless, consumers seem pretty confident at the moment. I'm surprised by that. Are you seeing that either in your global surveys or your watchful eye on the U.S.? Well, I think uh, the, uh, over time, the consumer just becomes immune to these things with all of the political theater that's going on uh, yeah. across the globe right now. Uh, eventually people just turn the TV off and say, okay, I'm going to go on with life and I'm going to do what I need to do. Uh, so I, I certainly think that's that, that's some of it. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Consumer confidence uh, gets shaken quite easily, and so we'll need to see how uh, uh, how, how, how well that holds up uh, over uh, through the election process, uh, we've got such a – I don't remember an election where we ever had such a degree of uncertainty surrounding the election. And, uh, uh, you know, there's, there are those who believe that uh, uh, the Washington is in total chaos, uh, and there are those who believe that uh, – uh, actually, uh, that's good. That's a good thing because uh, they're, they're re-examining how they do things, and, and maybe uh, uh, that's a precursor to, to real meaningful change. That would be a, a welcome relief in this country. Norbert, anything in the global surveys that you watch that uh, over the last month or so has been kind of a surprise? The... Uh, They've been actually pretty consistent recently, the last couple of months, in terms of uh, the European uh, Eurozone has, has held up fairly well. Uh, still not strong growth, but certainly uh, at least growing. 
uh, I, I think uh, uh, you know the, the one surprise that I've seen, for whatever it's worth, is Australia, after months of decline, uh, has had three months of growth, uh, and so they have implemented some of the, the cost-cutting uh, uh, ideas and uh, freeing up, uh, lowering taxes, and so on. And Australia is a very heavily taxed country. Uh, and so uh, that has helped them o over the course of the last three months. But otherwise, uh, things uh, are, are pretty much uh, pretty much the same. Uh, we probably ought to talk for a minute about the, the non-manufacturing sector. Uh, the ISM report this month was down a couple of points, but still was at 56.9. And uh, the em employment index within the non-manufacturing survey actually gained uh, from 56 to 58. And um, that's a, a big positive because I, I believe as long as the automotive industry continues to, to hold up fairly well and the non-manufacturing sector, which is four times larger than manufacturing, uh, as long as it remains above 55, uh, 55 is when we see large declines in uh, employment in that sector, uh, very little growth, frankly, and, and that takes place in there. And, and the non-manufacturing sector is very slow to change versus the manufacturing sector. That's why people follow economically the manufacturing sector uh, so much is because change shows up earlier in the manufacturing sector than it does in the non-manufacturing sector. And we would speak of non-manufacturing being uh, coincident versus a leading indicator, which is, is manufacturing. The other, the other thing about manufacturing that uh, uh, I'll put a plug in for manufacturing, um, manufacturing actually has a much bigger footprint than, uh, than what it's given credit for because when it's measured in GDP, it's uh, about a, a fourth of the uh, uh, of size of the services sector. When you measure it on purchases, uh, and the fact that uh, we purchase from each other and, and so on in, in manufacturing, when you measure it in purchases, it's about half the size of the services sector. So uh, a, a positive there in uh, in terms of the 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 feeling that we have about manufacturing. And manufacturing has become a smaller piece of the economy only because the services sector has been growing much faster. And so that mm -hmm. faster faster growth gives services a bigger piece of, uh, of the overall pie. Okay. Um, Lou, uh, anything else uh, you want to uh, ask Norbert? I, and we must be getting close to the end of the show here. Uh, the going actually very back to the beginning of the show, we were talking about China and the U.S. Uh, the the intertwined uh, relationship that I, I see it as, where we talked about China's demand. Um, I don't know what the percentage is, but a lot of their demand is based on what we are buying from them. And if they're going down, that means we're not buying from them. And if we're not buying from them, we're not buying. Uh, i.e., uh, uh, Walmart is the largest uh, retailer in here in the United States, even though they're trying to get away from China and do everything as much as possible here in the States. The, the China-U.S. 
business relationship is a tied and uh, mortally tied together, I think, forever. Uh, to, I, I think you're you're absolutely right, Lou. Uh, but uh, to me, when I, I look at these things, uh, I look at it from the standpoint of uh, the principle of comparative advantage. That uh, you win. Uh, the the ones that uh, have an advantage to be able to make something. Uh, for instance, I always like to use the example. Uh, when uh, my wife and I got married, we got a can opener for a wedding present. <laughs> and uh, this is decades ago. And during that period of time, uh, a can opener was probably a $25 item. <laughs> and uh, 40 years later, we had to replace it. And I think I replaced it with a product that was far, far superior, and it was $17. Right, right. And so by using comparative advantage, had that been made in the United States over that period of time, it would probably be $100 for a can opener. Right. <laughs> but right. by using the comparative advantage uh, that they have in small electronic items, uh, we uh, we as a consumer wind up better off. And uh, in terms of uh, sustainability, global environment, everything else, uh, we're using less to do more. I remember and the so old. I think we have to we have to keep reminding ourselves we don't need to make everything. If we do, we will become the Soviet Union, which means we will make nothing. Yes, that's true. But we get to drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, they still I, ship the vodka. That's right. I I remember the old expression about the uh, the government spending a hundred dollars on a toilet seat. Um, that goes back to probably the 50s or 60s. I dare say you can't buy a toilet seat today for $100, and certainly not a fancy one to go into your fancy powder room. <laughs> for sure. Well, well uh, let, me, let me say one other thing before we close. Sure. Uh, each month I do a uh, private survey on manufacturing. It's intended to be for the benefit of the people who participate in it, and for my affiliation with Strategus Research Partners, uh, it's a great opportunity to get into some really good macroeconomic data. And um, uh, if anybody's interested in that, if they'll contact me at N-O-R-E at Strategus, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-A-S-R-P dot com. Uh, I'll be uh, glad to, to screen them as a particip uh, potential participant. Well, that's terrific, and uh, we've seen the report and uh, uh, the report that you put out on a quarterly basis, and it certainly is uh, is, is as complete as one could get. I'm sure the service is uh, also very well uh, intended and very accurate. So, uh, I would recommend anybody to. to uh, Join with Norbert and uh, get some information from him. And it is there is no there is no fee associated with it. Oh, that's even right. Better. As a matter of fact, as I recall, Norbert, that's a monthly report, and the participants get actually two reports out of it. Do they not? As a benefit, uh, they, they get two reports as a result of the survey work. Plus, they get a weekly economic summary that our, our staff puts together. Well, we're so just going to no have to sign up. Yeah, no cost, terrific benefits. Uh, we certainly encourage any of our listeners to 
or send an email off to uh, NORE at strategusrp.com so that you can participate in that survey and get that great information. Uh, Norbert also contributes to a newsletter that we put out monthly called uh, Metals and Manufacturing Outlook. That one's being prepared as we speak. So there's a very, very interesting scattergram that uh, Norbert puts together on where all of these different world economies and even some state and city economies are in comparison to one another. What's growing, what's uh, retrenching a little bit, who's above the line, above 50, who's below it. So we encourage I, you to uh, subscribe to that as well. Lou? By the way, I uh, today uh, this month's uh, scattergram, I'm rather surprised to see that Texas made it onto the chart. <laughs> I mean, they're talking about Europe and Mexico and Australia and Germany, the U.S. and Texas. Uh, and they're not doing great. Well, Texas is the 12th largest economy in the world. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, it's very significant. It's also a good indicator of what's going on in the uh, petrochemical industry and uh, manufacturing. And uh, so it's it's a key player uh, on a global basis. Uh, That's an important fact for us to watch. I appreciate that. Uh, Norbert, I want to say thanks for joining us uh, on our show today, and uh, as you have in the past. Uh, Tim? Yeah, we certainly look forward to you being on uh, uh, future shows. Norbert's on with us monthly, gives us an update of what's happening in in the global economies. We uh, often drag him off onto other subjects, which fortunately he's uh, very versed in. So we appreciate your time, Norbert. Thanks for joining us again. My pleasure. And, Lou, uh, we'll be uh, back with Manufacturing Talk Radio uh, next Tuesday, This uh, um, that upcoming show. I'm, I'm not sure that we have in the can yet, but we're putting it together. And we send out an email blitz to everyone letting you know what the upcoming show is. We certainly look forward to uh, our listeners tuning in, and we want to thank everyone for listening to Manufacturing Talk Radio today. And that address is mfgtalkradio.com. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.